If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 podcast, entering the dark web with Kevin Hendricks. I had a perception in my mind of what a good cop was, and that's when my world really changed. That's it was like the light bulb went off. It's something that I really feel is a underlooked area. What the fuck is this? You really encouraged me. I need to know because I don't know. The term dark web, these were like massive takedown. And I want to say it's probably less than 5%. There is legitimate reasons for dark webs to exist. Welcome, welcome to the 108 Podcast. I'm your host, 108, and this is episode 222. Sorry, I forgot for a second. Today's episode, we are going to talk all about the dark web, which is one of those like things for me. I'm very interested in it, and I want to learn more about it. I want to experience it, but I also don't want to be part of some government list. Like, I want to check it out. I want to like watch what happens and I don't want to partake you know I don't want to order up drugs I don't want to get a hitman I don't want to buy a person all things you can do on the dark web and as we're going to learn in just a few minutes you can do like not creepy shit on the dark web too like some people in some nations do totally innocent things on the dark web just based on what is available to them on free media but I want to do it I want to experience it but I'm just so interested in it. So I'm so glad that my guest today, Kevin Hendricks of Street Cop Training, reached out to me and we had a connection and I was like, you know what, let's let's talk about it because we've had Nick German on a few, few weeks ago, probably about a month or two ago now, and we talked about social media and kind of the ins and outs and stuff and actually Nick is going to be on in the future and we're going to talk about social media in another light. But I'm so glad that Kevin reached out to me and I'm so glad that we were able to make a date happen and we had this conversation because I learned a lot. It titillated my intellectual curiosity as it will yours. So 
everyone won. So that's great. And we're going to be talking to Kevin in just a few moments. But first, I feel like I need to address the giant Ukrainian in the room. Or maybe it's the giant Russian. I don't know. A lot in this world has changed since I put together my episode for last week with Keith Thornton of Chicago, Illinois. Uh, When I put that together, I was a mere um, 31-year-old lad, and the world was okay. You know, the Olympics were going on, which was cool, but I really wasn't paying attention to it, uh, except for at work, because it was nice to kind of have on in the background, because... You know, you spend five hours watching curling matches, which, by the way, Canadians, if you're listening, explain to me curling. I tried. Why does a curling match take five hours? I want to see the skiing long jumps. I want to see some uh, downhill skiing and curling takes up most of the afternoon programming. What is up with that? It's got like nine or ten innings. It's like a baseball game, but it's way less interesting than baseball. It's like a giant shuffleboard match on ice. What the hell? I think I figured out the whole, like, scoring system, I think. But, come on, man. Let me get back to the skiers going over the damn slope with the nuclear reactor in the background and then them crashing into the ice just because it's fun. I don't want anyone to get hurt, you know what I'm saying? But it's just more interesting than watching, you know, Adam Sandler and his buddies sweep on the ice. But anyway, I digress. Everyone knows that things are kind of weird right now, right? Like, during the Olympics, there was, like, this unspoken thing that Vladimir Putin is kind of nuts. Which, we've all known that, but he was kind of nuttier than usual. And now, it is February 27th at a quarter to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Shit's kind of real right now. Like, I've got I've got a bunch of different thoughts about it. So let me let me kind of take you through my mind, and hopefully this kind of resonates with some people. Maybe I'm just fucked up. I don't know. But so there's a part of me I can't look away from this stuff. It's very interesting. I mean, think about it. And it's been said all up and down the news, but this is the first time we've been at or there's been a war with social media. Like when you think about think back to. Iraq and Afghanistan, that was the first time that we had the 24-hour news cycle. So we could just see it all the time. We could see what the news wanted us to see 24 hours a day, 365, however long it took. And they would show us the horrors of war, you know, show us bombs going off. It was actually a very good propaganda tool because we could see shock and awe, right? Like, look at all the bombs and blowing them all up and blah, 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 blah. Great. And before that, one of a very good movie, it was made to TV movie, but it was very good, had Michael Keaton in it, made on HBO, called, which, by the way, made to HBO movies used to be like the Netflix originals, okay? So don't don't hate on them. Um, called Live from Baghdad, about 1992, Baghdad, CNN, when the U.S. launched the attack on Baghdad. Um, so you had that. So that was like the start of it. That was having like, you know, boots on the ground coverage for TV, for cable TV. And then as we progressed into the war in Afghanistan and Iraq in uh, 2001 and beyond, that was the first kind of look that way. But now this is the social media war. 
Like, we are literally seeing, forget the boots on the ground, forget looking at live news footage. We are seeing people on Instagram Live with missiles flying into their basements or wherever, you know, flying into their house. And it's really showing us the the terribleness of war. When I was in college, when I was, I guess, technically a sophomore in college, I wrote a paper for my English class um, called... I can't remember what it was called, but it, it focused on the good things about war. And they still exist today. Uh, my favorite comedian, thinker, speaker, George Carlin, said that we like war. As Americans, we like war. And what I basically was saying in the research paper was like, yeah, we do. First off, you know, war breeds innovation. It breeds creativity. It breeds lots of jobs. It breeds lots of money. And those are the things that Americans like. And that was basically what I was saying. I also said how it fuels our pop culture because we now have, you know, Call of Duty is probably the biggest video game of all time. You look at all the different war movies, you think of all the different, like, action movies that are all kind of, one way or another, inspired by war conflicts. And in the paper, I used uh, Batman the Dark Knight as a reference because there are scenes in the Dark Knight that are directly related to Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein and the way that they terrorize through video. Anyway, that's not the point of my conversation here, which if you guys are interested, let me know and I'll do a whole spiel on that. But um, looking at it now, you can see that there are positives to war, but then there's the human element, right? You can see people dying right there's nothing stopping us from seeing a tiktok where innocent people are you know going face to face with a tank with a freaking saw the the tank run over some dude luckily he got out of the car but you see that all of this is very alarming and like i said i can't look away i'm checking my phone all the time almost to the obsessive point of where i check my phone about podcast stats about like what's next and people are, you know, this this person I worked with was getting upset about like, hey, I don't want to watch that. I don't want that stress. And I had my niece. My niece is married to a guy who is in Army basic training and he's going to be stationed in Alaska and she's going to move out there in a few months with him. And, you know, she's worried. So these are all real and valid fears and concerns and stressors. So it got me to thinking. And I wanted to share these thoughts with you. So we can't change what's going on right now, right? I mean, that'd be great if we could, but we can't. You know, we're not Vladimir Putin. We're not um, the president of Ukraine, who has also happened to be named Vladimir. I think everyone over there is Vladimir. So we, we, can't, we can't change that, right? Um, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Right. If just today um, Putin did something with his nukes where I guess he like put them on high alert or something like that, which to me is scary. Ever since I was a kid in sixth grade, 9-11 happened and my parents tried to talk in hushed tones talking about oh, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. But I was super keen on it because I was freaked out. And I remember them saying, like, they're talking about we're going to get hit with a nuke. That's always been a fear of mine. Hit with a nuke. And I remember going to the bus stop, looking in the sky, waiting for the mushroom cloud to pop up like a, you know, like that was what I would see. It wouldn't just be flash and then <laughs> end of the story, right? But so it's always been like it piques my interest out of fear, you know, out of out of fear and curiosity. 
So that's what Putin's doing right now. But guess what? Nothing that me, Mr. 10-8, sitting here in Southwest Florida with my assistant Yogi over here, um, nothing I can do about it. Nothing that you can do about it. Nothing that anybody can do about it unless you are Vladimir Putin and you're listening to this show. If so, dude, you got a lot going on. What are you doing? So what's the point in worrying about it? My dad used to say, why waste a good worry? You know, I'm, I'm a chronic overthinker. I overanalyze. I have anxiety. Um, why waste a good worry? Every time that I would get into something and I'd get freaked out about it, I'd start overthinking, and then it would be fine. And my dad would say, you wasted a good worry. So why are we wasting good worries on something that we have no say in the matter? We have no control in what is going on in Ukraine, in Russia, or the world. If, if moments from now, Vladimir Putin decides he's going to crack a nuke in the Ukraine, or in the Southwest, or anywhere, there's nothing that any of us can do about it. Nothing. Yeah, that's scary, right? But what can we do? If the United States gets involved in this war, per se, what can we do? Or if, you know, people have said, well, oh, what's going to happen if this ever comes here? Well, what is going to happen? You know, you, you got to start thinking about what you can control, and that's like a stoic mindset. What can you control? What do you have control over? Well, what I say is, it's important to know what's going on. You can't stick your head in the dirt like an ostrich and pretend nothing is happening, right? It's good to be informed, which is tough because all the news is slanted one way or another. The day that Putin started the invasion, I I typed in Ukraine to Google and all I got were news stories about how stupid Trump was. I was like, this is what, what is going on here? So that's difficult. And that's why you have to read and view different sources. Right. And we talk about that all the time. Don't get your news from just one place. Don't let it get just from Fox, from MSNBC, from CNN, New York times, the AP, try to get them from an aggregate of sources and then kind of come to a common consensus. That's probably the best way to do it. So it's important to stay informed, but then it's important to keep things to what you can control. Make sure your family's taken care of. You still have to go to work. You still have bills to pay. You know, nothing is going to stop, you know, unless unless Biden's like, oh, state of emergency, whatever. And um, it's important to keep that in mind, right? Take care of your family. Make sure that, you know, you do have provisions just in case. Make sure you got some water. Make sure your car is taken care of. Make sure your house is taken care of. Because that's all you can control. Everything else, has, we have no say in the matter. Okay? So we can watch the world burn on CNN 24 hours a day. We can do that. I, like I said, I'm guilty of watching it too much. For sure. But one, I want to be informed. And two, it interests me. Morbidly, it interests me. Just like our conversation today about the dark dark web. So, I just wanted to say that. I had something a little bit more um, concise planned. But this is sufficient enough. You know, I'm 13 minutes talking about this, this crazy little world we're living in. And, you know, I hope for the best. But I expect the worst. You know, it's just like, you know, when you think about Memento Mori or you think about... You know, every day is its own lifetime. 
If you expect to die when you go to sleep every night, when you wake up in the morning, you're you're in overtime. Like you're getting you're getting double the pay. You know what I mean? It's it's bonus time. So it is what it is. I mean, that's the world we live in. So I, I keep running a poll, you know, about who's who's concerned about everything. And everybody it's funny, a few weeks ago I said, Hey, who's concerned about what's going on? And it was like seventy two percent, no, I'm not worried about it. Then I did it a week later and it was like fifty percent. Like, I don't know, things are kinda weird. Like I didn't think this would get this far. And it's okay. It's okay to be concerned. For sure. These are very you know, I hate to say unprecedented times because we're so sick of those words. But it is what it is, man. So hopefully my page and me, uh, we can continue to be comic relief. We can be kind of a an escape of the nastiness of the world. And because of that, because of my role that I have kind of accepted, kind of put upon myself, uh, I am happy to bring you my conversation today with Kevin Hendricks. Kevin Hendricks has a long career in law enforcement. And he has specialized in cybercrime investigations. He's worked with the FBI. He's worked with a local police agency. And he has so much to teach us about the dark web. And that's what we're going to get into right now. So, all that being said, toss all your fears about Ukraine and Russia and what's going to happen out the window for about an hour. Give me an hour and I will give you an amazing conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my conversation with Kevin Hendricks. Check it out. Kane is in the building. seen a car you know we, we were sitting out there me and my partner at the time we were sitting out there saw a car leave a area that we knew was frequent for people buying narcotics and what was interesting is this car had no license plate either so you know we're thinking we're hitting a mother load mm-hmm. thinking we're getting a stolen car so we pull the car over and right off the bat the woman that was driving um, starts yelling out the window at us and kind of went to a, a level of uh you know from zero to 10. So we're already at 10. We're talking to her and 
just not going, not going the way we wanted to go. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't realize at the time, um, because she had two of those, I guess those blackout sun guards on the back of the, um, passenger windows in the rear mm-hmm. i didn't see at the time that she had two car seats and two kids in the car seats mind you this is like 3 30 a.m so uh-huh. uh i wind up trying to see if her license is suspended she has any warrants and my partner is like hey man did you look in the back <laughs> i was like no like i wasn't paying attention and got two very very young children in the back so uh needless to say that um that stopped and it evolved into what I thought it would have been. But, mm-hmm. you know, it just went to show that car with no license plate, leaving a, uh, a high drug, high crime area thought we had, you know, at least a stolen car. And it turned into a little bit of a, of a nightmare, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. but everything checked and out. I just went, fine to, there, went right? to tell me I should be paying better attention to the back seat. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, I had a story yeah. like that. Well, actually, this one. So we were we were tasked, me and my buddy, we were tasked with looking at this neighborhood. Um, we, as far as long as I was with my agency, this was like a bad drug neighborhood. We knew where the target was. There were always, you know, search warrants and pops coming out of it. So we were tasked with making traffic stops and developing intel. You know, arresting people with narcotics um, for the dope unit. So this this was a very this was like shooting fish in a barrel because it was one way in one way out. So all you had to do was sit and there was a dark parking lot across the street. So all you had to do was hide in the dark parking lot, watch for one car to go in and watch for that same car to come out shortly thereafter. Easy, easy peasy. So we sit there, we see this minivan go in. We see this minivan come out less than 10 minutes later. And we're like, ah, it's that easy. So we stop That's the vehicle. It. We see, um, White male driver, black male passenger. Not in that neighborhood. That's not where the car came back to. I separate them both. You know, the, the, the easy stuff, you know. And uh, one guy says, oh, he picked me up. We were going fishing. I'm like, bro, it is 2 o'clock in the morning. I see no fishing bowls. <laughs> How are you fishing? Were you doing the grizzly bear style? Like, just grabbing with your hand? What was going on? And then the other guy, the driver, was a quadriplegic. <clears throat> so he had the hand controls on his car and everything. And we're like, come on, man, be, be straight with me. What's going on? And the driver's like, all right, um, I quit smoking crack, but I was hanging out with this dude at a bar and he was like, Hey man, I know where to get some good crack. He took me over here and we got some crack. I was like, cool, man. This is, it's that easy. Cool. Where's the crack right here. He hands it to me. I was like, Oh, this is great. Um, we end up cutting the, the passenger. He was nothing more than, Hey, this is where you get the crack. from. Nothing more than that. Yeah. We, we ID'd him, sent him out. But now we're like, all right, so we've got dude who is quadriplegic in his car. He told us where the dope was. He's got the dope. We got we to hook him. But he's like, he's quadriplegic. So it's going to be a little hard to get him from his van to our squad car. Anyway, we, we're on this car this call for probably an hour trying to figure out how to finagle this guy. And we're like, all right, we're going to get a paddy wagon. We'll put him in the van. It'll be more spacious for him and everything. As we're ready to lift him out, he goes, hold on a second, man. I got to empty my bag. Like, empty your bag? What does that mean? He had a catheter, and it was literally the size of a balloon filled with piss. And he just emptied it on the side of the street, splattered on our shoes. And he's like, all right, I'll get in your car, but just let you know, you better uh, you better sanitize the seats because I got MRSA on my ass cheek. Like, what do you mean you got MRSA on your ass cheek? He's like, it is down to the bone, 
and like it could be super you know contagious and bubble he's like i gotta wash my clothes separately from my kids and everything so anyway long story short we didn't hook the guy because we weren't going to get MRSA in our in our squad cars and everything like that. We ended for just like a little dime bag of crack. We ended up uh, writing an affidavit, and, and I, I guess they served him later. I don't know, but it was just like this amazing stop, and it just yeah. minute by minute came all undone. I'm like, wow. And then I was like, man, that would have been the perfect guy to send into the drug house because no one's going to want to touch him. Yeah, so it always. Oh, that's- it definitely, it made me realize, you know, pay more attention to who you're stopping and, you know, the inconvenience might actually be on purpose. So, yeah, no, I know, I know how that feels where yeah. you think you have a, you think you have a grand slam and it turns into a triple play. You're, you're yeah. out. I don't know what absolutely. Know absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Kevin Hendricks to the show. Kevin, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Awesome. For everyone that doesn't know who you are or where you come from or what you do, go ahead and uh, and introduce yourself. Uh, so my name is Kevin Hendricks. Um, I'm an instructor with Street Cop Training for the class Dark Web and Cyber Crimes Investigations. Uh, I've been in law enforcement 15 years. Um, four of those years, I was with the FBI Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And three of those years, I was with the Drug Enforcement Administration um, with a focus on uh, cyber crimes. Very cool. Very cool. So everyone, you know, get your, I feel like right here I should be playing like 1980s, like techno music because we're going to be the hackers and we're getting into the dark web. But the Blade dark runner, web, yeah, absolutely. Because um, yeah. the dark web and, and just internet crimes always interest me. Um, it was a path that I was looking to go down at one point. Uh, the problem was in both my agencies, internet crimes was basically just kitty porn. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I can get into that. Um, you know, I knew one of my FTOs went that route and he was in it for a very short time before he had to get out. Um, and it was just, you know, I just, I didn't know, think I could touch it, but things like the dark web existing and the crazy things that I've heard about very interesting. And I thought that'd be very interesting to fall into. So I guess I'm going to start with talking about you and we're going to dive right into cyber crimes from there. So right now, or so you started out city cop, just like any other guy. Yeah, I'm still with the municipal agency. Um, you know, 15 years I've, I've been with the agency. Um, okay. So you've just, just kind of been like lent out, out to yeah. all those different units or agencies. Yeah. That's okay. what it came down to. Okay. So when you started out, I know you said in your story that you were, you were gung ho for interdiction, what facilitated that? What got you wanting to do that aspect of police work? You know, I had at the time a perception of, you know, what a good cop was. And I think that's more from commercial Hollywood, you know, things like that. Like I grew up with Die Hard. You know, I grew up with the the, uh, more gung-ho police officer, um, main character, role model type aspect of it. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess at the time, you know, I got hired when I was 22. So, you know, I, uh, was fresh out of college and I still had a, uh, I guess a view of the world through the way Hollywood viewed cops at the time. And, um, you know, I, I thought that getting, um, per se, a lot of drugs off the street or something of that nature would somehow make people think better of me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe that's out of pride or hubris, some, something in that nature. But, um, you know, obviously the job has changed a lot in 15 years Mm -hmm. and, um, needless to say, 
I don't have any regrets for uh, being new on the on the road and, and being in a in a city that does have a good amount of crime, uh, sure. a good amount of you know open yeah open uh, narcotics. It's mm-hmm. it's it's something where uh, realistically, I actually was torn between the agency I work with now and I was going to go on my PD. It was it literally came down to who was going to send me to the academy first. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I guess it was I, I had a perception in my mind of what a good cop was. And, uh, a good cop would be a cop that could, you know, make uh, make glass out of sand. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> no, I think was- you're absolutely right. And I said this. My very first episode was with Dennis, and I believe I said it to him. If not, I said it in one of the very first episodes was that no one put in that academy application to say, I want to sit in a parking lot. No one did. Everyone that signed up wanted to do something, you know, do something, yeah. whatever, whatever it might be. Maybe, you know, you want to curb DUIs. You want to solve crimes in a detective capacity. You want to get drugs off the street, whatever. There's some kind of motivation there because no average Joe Schmo is going to go, you know what? I'm tired of my job over here at Wendy's. Let me be a cop. Like that's, that's not how it works. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, once you start doing things, then you kind of see where you want to go. So I absolutely agree. I know when I was in the police academy, I saw, or when I was getting ready for the police academy, I saw like end of watch. I saw the big TV show that I watched at the time was, um, it's called Graceland. And it focused on FBI and DEA agents. I was like, oh, that'd be really cool. And my dad was a police officer for a long time and he was an influence on me. So I feel like that's, that's how everything goes. So how did you go from that aspect to internet crimes? Um, so I always, I want to say had some, I guess, familiarity with computers in the sense where I've been a music producer uh, since I was like 15, mm-hmm. I'd always been producing on the computer. Um, and I don't want to say that I would had any type of, programming or network experience i actually went to college to be like an archaeologist <laughs> okay. Or not. okay yeah so it's not like i had some skill set uh at the time and i believe the opportunity had presented itself um it was a window uh that you know i, I walked through at the time i i always had high views of the fbi um Believe it or not, my father was actually an informant for the FBI uh, hmm. when he was in the ROTC at Rutgers. Uh, he was, yeah, he was, he was reporting on the, uh, the, I guess the student clubs at Rutgers that were sympathizers uh, to some anarchist causes. And, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I didn't know that about him until years later. He told me. I think he actually told me about it. Uh, yeah, I actually think he told me about that when, when I was talking about my uh, tentative position at the FBI. He said, yeah, you know, I used to call in and report to his handler about what was going on at, wow. at Rutgers at the time. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to mm-hmm. think about that. You know, the old Hoover era of the FBI, he was uh, he was part of that. So, you know, and believe it or not, my, my impressions of the FBI were really from watching the X-Files. You know, mm-hmm. I actually did. I actually did believe that there was, uh, you know, 
uh, an X-Files for the FBI at the time. Right. But, um, I went over there and, uh, you know, I want to say that's when my world really changed. The time I was there, you know, 2014, these were really the case studies that we know today about dark web investigations. I mean, you had um, the takedown of the love zone. Uh, these are all things that people can Google about. Mm-hmm. But you had the takedown of the love zone. You had Operation Pacifier, uh, Playpen. These were like massive takedowns, um, really in a new area of how to police the internet. And um, I remember that when I first started hearing about the dark web, um, I heard about it from one of my fraternity brothers. Like he was telling me about it back uh, years, like I want to say 2009, 2010, when, you know, this was really something that wasn't as sensationalized as it is today. Like this was something people really didn't know about. He was the de facto nerd, you know, he Mm -hmm. was the, the, the tech guy. Me and him were talking about it. And, uh, you know, then I come to go to the FBI and then we have these cases involving the onion router. We have these cases involving Tor. And it's just like, I knew it then that I really needed to, to focus on this. It was like the light bulb went off. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's just been something that it's not only a passion for me in terms of learning about it, but it's a passion for me to teach it. Um, it's something that I really feel is a underlooked area it's something that we still like equate to like a, you know, a dark art mm-hmm. or something to that nature where it, even and it's, it's, it's funny because my wife and I, we just watched some repeat of 48 hours with an episode involving the dark web. And it's always the lights are off, you know, the terminal yeah, screens yeah. are running. The guy's got the hood up and they find somebody who's an expert. And it's like the guy won't talk on camera. He's got glass. I'm like, what, what the fuck is this? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> But it adds, it adds to the mystique. It adds to our, you know, societal preconceived notions about it. And that mm-hmm. transcends into law enforcement. And, um, you know, that's something now that I feel I, I get very uh, rewarding teaching about this. And just to hear people, like earlier today, I had a, a one-hour webinar. And to hear people reaching out to me, I should say see people because they're emailing me just like, I had no idea about the dark web before I sat down and he's like, I was just taking notes the whole time. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, you really, you really encouraged me to not blow these cases off. Right. Because there's just so many people that will shut down. I mean, you, there's so many police officers and I'm not saying this as a critique, but they hear cryptocurrency, they're going to shut down. They're going to be like, no one understands that they hear you know, oh, it's a dark web. Oh, dark web? No one understands that. Or better yet, the, only the feds can solve that. You know, that's the, mm-hmm. that's the purview yeah, of the yeah. federal government. We, we can't, you know, hands off. We can't do that. And it's like, no, that's not true. So, um, you know, I, I was very, very fortunate to not only become a task force officer with the FBI in general, I was honored to serve with them for four years. But at the time I was there, uh, the exposure I had to the kind of the, the infancy of dark web investigations and being able to, to attend training that I wouldn't have been able to attend if I wasn't with the FBI at the time. Um, it, it really helped mold my career and helped mold, I, I really want to say, me as a person. Mm-hmm. 
everything you said was absolutely true. I mean, I was having a conversation with work at work the other day about the dark web and everyone said the exact same thing. Oh, I have no idea what it is. Uh, is it, it, it's probably just a whole bunch of Ukrainians like huddled together in a, in a room and, and you know, <laughs> it's dark and they just got servers upon servers. And I was like, I have no yeah. idea. And, and it's for as much as we know, we really don't know. Well, publicly, anything you know it's all just kind of still wrapped in this shroud of mystery and um you know that's that's the intrigue that's why people kind of get geeked out about just the topic in general they're like i need to know because i don't know um that's at least my side of it that's how i get geeked out about it i took uh mike vaccaro's class the criminal map classing uh, class and he talks about it just a very little bit about how to you know ship drugs through the through the airport and everything and that was just enough from like it it wet my appetite it's like okay i need i need to learn more and more about this because it's just so interesting so a lot of my listeners and a lot of my instagram followers they wanted to know very basically what is the dark web so the term dark web um if we want to really get into specifics the dark web is quintessentially dark nets so if you think of it this way we have what's called the surface internet right you and I, we go to google.com. Uh, Google knows where we are based on our IP address, our geolocation. We start to type in, I need a carpenter. I need a plumber. Um, I want to buy a new fridge, right? Google is able to out, is basically able to direct us to specific sites. You want a new fridge, you're going to Home Depot, you're going to Lowe's. Uh, it sees that I need a plumber. Hey, you want to go to, you know, Kevin Hendricks Plumbing. They're near you. That's usually generated uh, based on, you know, revenue that that is paid to Google or, you know, some type of hierarchy with advertising. But that's really the surface web. When we start to talk about the deep web, right, this is the biggest part of the Internet. Right now, you and I on Squadcast, we're on the deep web, right? We can go to squadcast.fm regularly through our browser, but this specific session that we're in, this is part of the deep web because we have to have some sort of credentials that would be a room created for us. Mm-hmm. This is what really eats up most of the most of the internet. I use this analogy that when I go to do my online banking, right, I'll go to tdbank.com, I'll go to santanderbank.com. These are sites I'm readily able to access. Anybody can go there. If I need to go to my account, I have to enter specific credentials, right? I have to enter my email, my username, my password to get to that account. That's like unindexed content from the web crawlers of Google, um, Bing, so on and so forth. Then you have this very small percentage. I don't want to say it's probably less than 5%, but some people say it's 6%. But these are specific sites that are on the internet. You need software to get to, to access the network. You can't access the network without the specific software. That's really what the dark web is. It's the specific dark nets that you need software to access. When we think of the dark web, we think of the onion router tour. But there are other dark nets out there. There's I2P, there's Freenet, there's ZeroNet, LokiNet. There's these different dark nets that are pretty much compartmentalized from each other. And they're, uh, that's really what the dark web is. It's all these dark nets like, together. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So a, a notion that I have, and I, I want to know if it's misconceived or if it's true, is that only nefarious and, and negative 
actors access the dark web? Is that true that there's only negative that comes from it? Or is there a positive side to the dark web? No, uh, that is 100% wrong. Um, I'm not saying that it's not ill-conceived. You know, there, there is some logic behind that thought. But in terms of the world in general, there are certain countries that have authoritarian oppressive regimes. And in those countries, they basically limit the content that their population can view right online. They don't want you going to specific news sites that might be critiquing the ruling party. I brought up today in my webinar, you know, the Bible on the dark web. And it's like, I'm a, I'm a deeply religious person myself. And just to imagine if you're living in a society where you can't read the Bible, having to just go to the dark web to read the Bible to bring you comfort. Mm-hmm. That That's a reality for, for people in this world. Um, so there is legitimate reasons for dark webs to exist. I, sh- I should say the dark web in general, you know, the dark net, the circumventing of restrictions on your internet viewing that governments might put in place. And when I said you're, the logic behind, oh, it's all nefarious, it's, it's bad, that's not ill-conceived, right? Because here in the United States... We don't have, I mean, as of today, <laughs> who knows? We don't have that restriction of what we can view online. So when you see people, you know, having the Tor browser or having these dark nets, they're not doing it to circumvent censorship. They're doing it right. either they don't want people seeing what they're doing or, you know, in, in, in my opinion, if there's a 15, 16-year-old that's using the dark web, um, it's like, what do you think they're using it for, right? You sure, know, like there, sure. there's there's something that they're doing there. And especially how readily available VPNs are, right? If you're just concerned about your internet privacy, your browsing history, these VPNs are out there and these VPNs are cheap. Um, granted, if you know what you're doing, you could easily do it for free. Uh, there's sites out there where you could set up your proxies for free. Uh, so it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're using the dark web for a specific purpose and that purpose mm-hmm. at least here in the United States which actually makes up over 20% of the traffic on the entire tour network is in the United States they're doing it for a specific reason so again um, to just think that it exists solely for the drugs the contraband the illegal no it doesn't and I actually donate to the tour project every year I do okay. I, I donate to them because I believe in it I do believe in what their goal is of you shouldn't have a government basically dictating what their, their citizens can view online in terms of, you know, if you want to go to CNN or you want to go to Fox news, that's your choice, but you shouldn't have the government saying, well, you can't go here because they're critical of us. You can only go here. That's, that's in my opinion. Gotcha. That's the, Okay, I understand. And and hopefully that kind of clears up some confusion that my listeners had too. That was a question that came across a lot too is like, you know, cuz all we hear is is what, you know, bad things come from the dark net. But I think a lot of that is also yeah. ignorance because maybe people don't consider, you know, citizens of of, you know, places like China or North Korea, you know, they may not be able to get free media and this is their only way to do it. Um mm-hmm. So and- Facebook actually has its own darknet uh, dot onion site to access Facebook specifically okay. for countries that outlaw Facebook. So very interesting. So 
you were saying that you need like a separate browser, so I can't just open up Google Chrome and type in "Get me to the dark web, please." Enter, <laughs> and it's going to take me right there. Yeah, so they'll they'll show you many sites that will tell you how to get on the dark web, um, mm-hmm. but pretty much you just need to download uh, software or some sort of bundle package um, from who's ever hosting that specific darknet. Uh, gotcha. The Tor browser, T O R browser, the Onion Router. Uh, it's the most popular. Um, I think last month they had about 2.5 million users daily on the network. Um, it's the most stable. Uh, it is the preferred darknet browser, and it's where you're going to find all the dark corners of the criminal underworld that you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the drugs, the uh, the contraband, the child pornography, the hitman. Uh, you know. The murder for hire, yeah, the yeah. things like it's, that. It's crazy when you think about, like, you know, basically having this criminal underworld at your fingertips like that. Now, if you go to Google, you type in information about the dark web, you download one of these Tor, uh, Tor browsers, the Onion browsers, whatever. Uh, does that put you on a watch list? Like, should my, my listenership <laughs> avoid this altogether? Uh, no, it doesn't put you on a watch list, per se. One thing you do have to understand is that from a... Um, I guess f- from a forensic aspect, your internet service provider knows when you're connecting to a dark net like Tor. They know when you're mm-hmm. connecting to these things in the same way that they know when you're playing a video game on your computer. It's the same way that they know when you're going to specific addresses. That's not to say that, um, you know, they're keeping tallies on you specifically, how many times you go on Tor, but it's just part of your internet history. Now, this is something I equate in my class when I talk about tour investigations or rather darknet investigations. And, um, you've kind of zeroed in on somebody. If you could prove that that person was using tour or darknet at that specific time, when a specific instance occurred, right. When you were buying narcotics from this person mm-hmm. on tour and you were messaging them on the website, on the, the onion, the, the, the dot onion, the market, and they were on tour at that specific time, you know, granted it's circumstantial, but that's still evidence for your case. Um, So it's, it's something to keep in mind, but no, you're not on some, you know, you don't go in some super secret bunker database that they know you're using tour on Uh, other countries. They they do do a lot to prevent you from accessing tour. Their internet service providers do above and beyond due diligence to prevent their citizens from actually accessing the tour network. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's something that the tour project, you know, works very hard on, uh, or I shouldn't say hard on it, but they work very hard to develop ways to, uh, make sure your browsing experience is as easy as possible. Sure. Sure. So looking at it from a law enforcement standpoint, now you've got, you got law enforcement officers, they, you know, is this, Something is this a tactic? You said that you know you might get hit with a uh, cryptocurrency case. You might get hit with some kind of other case that may involve something with the dark web, maybe a, a fraud, a scam, something like that. But uh, Joe Blow, the patrol officer, he might see it and go, "Oh, this is not something we can take care of. Go somewhere else or whatever." For a patrol officer, is there what is there that we can do to utilize the dark web or information about the dark web? Uh, to a- engage or um, aid our cases? So the first foremost thing that you could do is take that report. 
don't be the one that sits there and says, you know, oh, this is this is beyond anything RPD can do, right? You're the one making that decision. It's not the truth. You know, it's one thing I always have told people, um, even when I was a field training officer while I was on patrol and I was training is like, find me an instance in history where an officer got in trouble because they did a report when they shouldn't mm-hmm. have versus an officer getting in trouble when they should have done a report and they didn't. At minimum, do the report. And I say that for two reasons. One, maybe your PD really won't investigate it, but you're still taking the report from the victim. The victim feels like there's been some sort of service that's been done to them, right? I mean, nothing's more embarrassing for a victim if they come forward and they have this case. You know, it, it took it took them a lot to call the police to begin with because they've been scammed and they feel embarrassed. And then they call the police. It's like, yeah, I thought I was engaged to this woman in Sri Lanka, uh, you know, I never met her and I was sending her cryptocurrency and this, that, and the other thing. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm $55,000 in the hole. And then I call the police mm. and the police show up and they tell me that there's nothing that they can do. You know, it's kind of like a, another punch in the gut. Just take the report, take sure. as much information as you can. And, you know, sites like ic3.gov, those sites exist where you can report on behalf of the victim. And you can put all that information into ic3.gov. And those who have access to ic3.gov from a uh, review standpoint, they can see correlation in cases or their specific cryptocurrency wallets that are the same in this case as it is with this case. And I've been privy to investigations where the victim in this one small town lost $5,000, but it was actually related to a multi-million dollar fraud group, right? Mm -hmm. It was related Mm -hmm. to that. So from the smaller aspect of the small town for the PD just to take that report and the victim lost $5,000, that was actually part of a larger case. And there was a multi-million dollar loss involved. So at the bare minimum, just take the report. Don't make these people feel stupid. Don't make them feel like they they shouldn't have called the police because that's really what they do feel like when when, when that happens. They feel like Mm -hmm. they're they they were uh, naive to have called the police about this and then sure. you know when the, and when the police come and they tell you that there's nothing that they can do you know oh you could go to ic3.gov it's like do you really think that they're going to go there themselves and sure. you know they've already got they've already got kicked in the pants by you and now they're going to go back to their homes and and smile no it it doesn't happen i'm telling you it doesn't happen just right, take right. yeah really just where I where I live and work right now is a big retirement community. Lots of snowbirds is what we call it. People that live up north, they come down for the winter. And, you know, the elderly are so easy to get victimized by frauds, by these kind of, you know, Nigerian prince scams kind of thing yeah. where, you know, they say, hey, and, you know, we may make fun of them. We may make a snide comment, but, you know, <laughs> I'm going to pay you a couple thousand dollars in gift cards or in cryptocurrency and then, you know, something's going to, I'm going to get something in return. Obviously they don't. And what I see a lot at work now is, oh, well, you're kind of SOL, you're, you're up a creek, like there's nothing that we can do. And it's, and I've always said, you know, I'm not, I'm not on the, on the road, but I've always said like, there's gotta be something at the very least track these cases and see who they're sending it to. And, and basically what you're saying is in these types of instances, can you you can kind of tie all these things together through the different resources that are out there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for a lot of people, I want to say in law enforcement in general, we have very dated um, views about cryptocurrency. Um, 
most people don't realize cryptocurrency is traceable. Most people don't realize that it doesn't take a lot of work to trace out these cryptocurrencies. Um, there are programs out there. Um, one of the programs that I've used and I've, I've worked with the company Cypher Trace, um, they offer basically attribution to specific wallets that are related to an exchange. So if this makes sense, um, cryptocurrency doesn't exist in the physical world. You can give me a hundred million Bitcoin. And if I can't cash out that Bitcoin, it doesn't do me any good. Right. I want to trans, I want to convert it into currency as quick as possible. So in order to do that, I have to either go to an exchange like Coinbase or Kraken or these very big tier one exchanges out there. Or I have to go to a Bitcoin cash out ATM, which is pretty rare. There, a lot of mm -hmm. those don't exist. Most of them are just buy your Bitcoin at the ATM versus cash out your Bitcoin. So, or I'm going to try to contact somebody via a service like local Bitcoin saying, hey guys, I need to cash out. Um, can somebody bring cash and I'll give you my Bitcoin, right? These cases, uh, and, and you would, and I'm not saying this as a, a come up and type nonsense i'm not saying this as you know me being holier than thou for some mm -hmm. police officers that don't know this but people have come to me from my class asking for assistance and i've literally not solved their case but said hey listen this is where the wallet is it's on this exchange they're based in the united states they know your customer compliant that's where the money went you have to issue a subpoena to them and it took me uh less than a minute to do this and they've had this case sitting there for six months, a year, because they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And that's not, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, I'm not saying that's laziness because it's not, it's just, they don't know the resources that are it's out the, there. It's more ignorance um, or not even ignorance, just unknowing about what is there. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. And it's there, there hasn't been, in my opinion, in the law enforcement community. And this is on the state, local, the tribal, and the federal level. There really hasn't been a huge push towards being uh, trained on this stuff. There has, like, mm, there isn't, yeah, I agree. Like, to, to, to my knowledge, there isn't some class at any police academy where somebody comes in and talks about cryptocurrency. There isn't. None. Uh, unless None. I'm wrong, there, is, there isn't a class where somebody comes in and they explain this because, especially now, you're going to have a case involving it. It's not like if you're going to have it, it's when. And yeah. I guarantee you, you know, it's going to, you be being called because somebody either was defrauded in some respect, somebody got hacked and their stuff got stolen, like withdrawn from their account. It's just, there's so many different cases that are going to have a nexus to this. Sure. And if, if you don't know about blockchain being viewable publicly like that's how it works right because one it's not doesn't exist in the physical world how can you determine if it's real or not you have to have a, a, a public viewing pool for for people to look at it um if, if you don't know those fundamentals to begin with it, it's just you know you're playing catch-up the whole time and yeah. uh you know i feel that with without knowing not only about cryptocurrencies just about the different elements of cyber crime in general with the credit card fraud, right? The Carters mm -hmm, and things mm -hmm. like that, you know, you're, you're really kind of shutting, you're, you're shutting the door on something that's a huge, huge, in my opinion, scorch because the amount of credit card fraud that goes on daily everywhere yeah. in, in the entire 
Yeah, function. you talk about that or data breaches. I, you know, you don't go a day without some email coming to your email saying, "Oh, there was a data breach. This this password got taken. This this company, you know, are you a member of Target.com? Because you know, hackers now have your information. Yeah. It's just, it's it's commonplace now. It's crazy. And and that's like kind of the view that it's more of a nuisance than a crime, right? Yeah. And something I actually talk about, uh, I don't talk about in my class, but it's something that you know when people ask me on the side, um, you know, there are small businesses that use services like Square, right? You know, the car payment service, the little uh, terminals that they have, you know, it's a little mm-hmm. Square terminal. Most of those businesses, if you go in there, you can actually get onto their Wi-Fi. They'll give you the public password for the Wi-Fi. But I guarantee you when you're on their Wi-Fi, if you go to the default router address, which is 10.0.0.1 in your browser, you're going to pop into their admin browser at admin access. And I guarantee you, you type in the username AdWord, uh, the username admin and the password is going to be admin lowercase or because they never changed it because they never did that. When you have administrative access to their router, you can do a lot there. You can insert sniffing malware. You can insert stuff. Where even though Square encrypts the the payments when it basically does the transaction, if I'm sitting there, I can actually see that little gap in the Wi-Fi. Basically, when Square communicates to their database, I can just mm. sit there and I can just skim data right off the top of it. And that's how a lot of people get their credit card information stolen is just from that little breach right there. And most people don't realize that it's just like the, the amount of exposure that you have, it's actually, in my opinion, safer to use your credit card online now than it is in some of these stores, because the algorithms, the artificial intelligence that have been incorporated into these online payment services, they're insane. They literally, they can detect anomalous events very quick versus point of sale transactions, you know, going to your local mom and pop pizza shop on Super Bowl Sunday where they're going to sell countless, countless pizzas, right? If I'm administratively accessed their router, I could sit there and I could see all that traffic as they're doing the transactions through their car payment service, whether that's Square, whether that's track phone. I can just sit there and I could just skim all that information with those credit cards. And mm-hmm. then by the end of the day, what, I've got 150, 160 credit cards maybe by the end of the day. It's insane. <laughs> And again, you've got kids that are 16, 17 years old that are clearing like 10K a week, just converting, right. converting those stolen credit card information into gift cards because those cards get hot, they get flagged, you can't use them anymore. So you use them once, boom, I'm loading up those rechargeable gift cards, I'm loading up those net spends, I'm loading up those Amex and Visa $5,000 limit cards. Mm-hmm. And for if you were to try to explain this to, the salty vet, right? The guy, the guy who knows about credit card fraud, right? That's when someone steals a credit card physically from somebody, then they go and they use it somewhere else, right? Right, right. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't work like that anymore. You gotta, you gotta get keep up with the times. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we always talk about you know, always learning about new things, and, and this is a, a perfect example. I mean, it's not new as you're explaining, but. It's, it's so unknown. So many people haven't even cracked the surface of it. And when you're saying about credit card fraud or things like that, and when you were talking about skimming, 
and literally just someone through the Wi-Fi skimming. I was like, how many times have people actually seen a credit card skimmer, like the physical installed mm. skimmer? Like there's so many safety precautions against that, but there's not safety precautions against the different ways of hacking in or, or kind of yeah. sneaking your way in. And like you said, it's not even like a heavy duty hack that we think of from the movies. It's literally just someone logging into the person's Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and logging into Squarespace or whatever it might be. It's, I, I mean, it all makes sense. It's so simple, but it's definitely something that I've never thought of in that perspective. And I'm sure my, my audience is the exact same way. And, and again, like from a proactive standpoint of, um, you know, being, police like what could they do it's like you know maybe having awareness campaigns to this you know maybe maybe saying hey is there someone that comes into your coffee shop and you go on their laptop they don't and they, they don't seem like they're doing anything right like granted we had some incidents at some coffee shops where <laughs> things went bad right where someone mm-hmm. was confronted or something like that but have you ever noticed that and like Maybe this guy just comes in, doesn't order anything, just sits down on his laptop, and he's just sitting there the whole time on his laptop. Like, you know, granted, are they doing anything illegal? No. Not to your – like, get the, get out of my store, right? right? No. But right. it's like you might want to notice this because, you know, have you ever changed your, your administrative password to your router, right? Sure. With administrative control, you can see all the devices that are connected to your Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. You can see yeah. if someone has injected something into your – you can see pretty much if something is running on your Wi-Fi that shouldn't be there. So this is like maybe from a proactive standpoint, you know, having cyber hygiene awareness, something just like that for the small. I think that'd be great. I think like, you know, we talk about community policing and everyone's mind instantly goes to like coffee with a cop or dancing on, you know, social media or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) But what, what better way to engage members of your community, especially the business community, which is the community and and holding, you know, or, or utilizing social media because a lot of departments are now using their social media so effectively and showing, hey, you know, these are things you need. If you hire one of these, you know, top notch graphic designers or infographic pl- people and show them how to. I don't know. I think you're absolutely right. I think if you engage the community and proactively say these are, you know, things to look for. And then you also at the same time teach the troops the things that you're talking about. That way you have both sides ways to think of it. I think this could be a very um, like a new new dawn, if you want to think of it that way, for just police information. Because the Internet, we all know, is is all encompassing and it it affects every aspect of our daily lives. So why would it not affect the criminals that are out there also? And I'll tell you one thing. They're not the, the generations that are younger. They're a lot more versed in it than you know me right I'm, I'm in my late 30s i think i know i have good chops when it comes to this stuff but some of these generations years 16 17 18 years mm-hmm. old it's like mm-hmm. they could run code laps around me and it's only you know you you, you really got to understand that this isn't something that is we think of the Ukrainians in a, in a <laughs> lead bunker with the terminal screens running with the servers in the background. It's like, no, 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 man, it's here. It's in your town. You just got to know what you're looking for. Yeah. For sure. And uh, when it comes to dark web drugs specifically, you know, the amount of times that dark web overdoses or dark web source narcotics that might've led to an overdose gets overlooked. It's, it's, it's harrowing. And, 
last year alone, we had the worst overdose statistics for our country ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you know, we, 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 we rectified that, right? With the opioid crisis, you know, we made it harder to get prescribed opioids. The DEA reeled in all those doctors that were overprescribing, right? Purdue mm-hmm. Pharma got hit, right? These people are going to jail. We, we collectively solved that problem. Then why are we seeing this? And then when you see the statistics of dark web usage, right? Dark web usage spiking during COVID-19. Are, are the data sets there to say that these overdoses are specifically related to the dark web? Well, no, you can't fairly say that because we don't have the data because we're not looking at it. We're not mm-hmm. sitting there trying to, to realistically solve these cases. And when I founded StopDarkWebDrugs.com, I had seen firsthand just like the disconnect that there is in overdose cases in general, not even with the dark web. It's just like cases with the overdose, you know, they're viewed as statistic, right? It's just like another overdose, another overdose. Oh, another Mm -hmm. Narcan. It's that and the other thing. And we don't really look to hold those who are vending the drugs accountable. Right. And when people ask me, uh, like, you know, when's an instance where I might come across, you know, dark web drugs, it's just like, there's just so many times. Yeah. There's so many different variances. There was a, a kid in his high school that was his own, you know, he was the El Chapo of his high school, just drug dealing. And the reality was he was getting the drugs delivered to his parents' house and the drugs were getting delivered in his parents' name. And all he did was just bring in the mail and they never saw these parcels that were addressed to them. And eventually, you know, when law enforcement catches on in some way, shape or form, the federal authorities, whether that's the postal inspection service or, uh, Homeland Security Investigations, DEA, when they caught on, it's like, oh, we think we know, you know, it's it's Kevin Hendricks. He's the one receiving the parcels. It's him. You knock on the door. I don't know what you're talking about. And then you find out that your son or your daughter, who you thought was just a gamer, right, just a nerd, is actually bringing first degree weight to the high school and they're dealing in the high school. And it's just like blowing people's minds. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it, it's that simple. I think of that. Uh, I don't know if you remember the movie American Beauty uh, with Kevin Spacey. And in that, his neighbor, the kid neighbor, I think he's in high school. Um, he's the big dealer. And like, mm-hmm. no one expects that he's the big dealer. And I think that's kind of the way it goes. I, I can't remember who I was speaking to, but they were like, you can be, I think maybe it was a podcast I was listening to. You can be a high level drug dealer and never leave your house. It's oh. not. It's uh, not the, the classic scenes of like, you know, meeting someone in a dark alley and getting your stash that way. It's literally getting mailed to houses. I I actually just unfortunately had a, a Facebook exchange with somebody about this. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is I can get more drugs delivered to me, uh, whether that's at a, the Cube Smart or whether it's somewhere that I set up. I could have more drugs delivered to me while I'm sitting here in my my basement in my pajama pants than you'll ever catch on the street. I could do it very easily and I could do it. I could basically even do it in my police uniform because they don't know who the fuck I am. And I can Mm -hmm. just keep ordering it, ordering, ordering it. And it it won't stop because these guys want to make money. And they're like, they don't care. They're like, I'm never going to get caught. It's a dark web. You can't catch me. Ha ha ha. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. No cop is going to take this report. I could, yeah, oh, no, not only that, but it's like no, nobody's, nobody, even if, 
even if I were to get caught, uh, you know, like in terms of somebody intercepts my parcel, I'm putting bullshit return addresses on it, right? No, no one's going to fucking catch me. And that's, that's the truth about it. And just this past week, the largest seizure in the history of the United States, 4.9 billion in stolen cryptocurrency from the Bitfinex hack. They caught the two in New York. It's the largest seizure in history of our country. Mm. And this was from cybercrime. So it's like, I, I, I don't understand why there's sometimes this collective resistance for officers to become trained in this. Like it, mm-hmm, it's right. something that just, it just boggles my mind. It's why, why wouldn't you want your officers or why wouldn't you yourself taking onus on it? Why wouldn't you want to be abreast to something that you are going to come across? Sure. Sure. It's right. And, and like you said before, it's not a, if it's a, when you're, you're going to stumble across it even by accident at this point, it's just, and think of, and, and I want to retouch on it that think of every annoying fraud call that comes in that you're going to blow off or you're going to just, you know, do the bare minimum. Well, think about how much further it could go if you just like dig just a little bit deeper and whether it's maybe your agency won't look into it, but I'm sure, like you said, the feds at some level are going to tie it all together and it's going to be part of something bigger. So Kevin, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into our, our listener view or listener questions and uh, touch on a few of these things. Uh, We touched on most of them. Um, This one gentleman from Houston wants to know, uh, just information about how people use the dark web in uh, in human trafficking uh, ways. Like how how significant is human trafficking in the dark web, and you know is it is that really a vessel for it or is it used somewhere else? Um, no, so there is a, a heavy prevalence, for, uh, I guess, a heavy prevalence uh, presence, I should say, for it. Um, the site I could direct them to it's very simple: followmoneyfightslavery.org anti-human uh, trafficking intelligence initiative they'll have uh, on the site itself they'll present the statistics they'll present um, cases that they've been a part of to help uh, you know prevent this stuff um, but yeah it is it is it is I don't want to say as prevalent as it once was mm-hmm. because there's kind of been these paradigm shifts for the dark web as we know it, they've kind of like started to regulate themselves in the sense where they know like the easiest way for the feds to get on you is like child pornography, right? Not only is there the federal government looking, but you have the national center for missing exploited children. You have Thorne, you know, Ashton Kutcher's um, he's involved with that. And Blake Lively, these celebrities are involved with Thorne. So it's like, you have this kind of like this triple entente coming at, child pornography. So it's like the dark web is like, well, we want to stay with, you know, we just want to deal drugs that are killing people. Right. We don't, we don't, <laughs> right, right, right. We want to be as, we want to make as much money as, as possible peddling poison. We're, we're just about the money. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing we want to keep those guys away because the quickest way to, to have something like that happen as was Kate, as was the case study was freedom hosting. Um, the case study with the love zone, which basically was part of freedom hosting. Um, but the case with operation, uh, Pacifier, playpen, you know, these child pornography traders, these human traffickers, sex traffickers, it's like they want them on their own island in the dark web and staying divorced from the other markets where they're selling credit cards, where they're selling, Mm -hmm. 
you know, what people view, even in law enforcement, as victimless crimes, right? Credit card fraud, that's a victimless crime. You're going to Right, get... the only victim is the bank or whatever. Yeah, and, and they have enough money. So it's just like, yeah, there's, it, it still has a presence there. Follow MoneyFightSlavery.org, the anti-human trafficking intelligence initiative. Um, go there. Nice. They, they have some harrowing numbers if you're very interested. Okay. Uh, the next question is, any knowledge of outlaw motorcycle gangs utilizing the dark web? Yeah, so... I wouldn't say that there would be a specific gang utilizing it. There, everybody, every everybody can be using the dark web in some way, shape, or form. Um, specific intelligence about outlaw motorcycle gangs. I mean, it would be no different than if I were buying guns on the dark web, right? Me and myself. Whoa, if, there's no difference with me as the end user or those gangs as the end user, right? There, there's there's no specific intelligence to say that they're using it for a specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Like there might be some of them that host their own dot onions or dark web, uh, dark net sites, but I don't know about that. I would say that they might be using it in the same way that any other gang would be using it. Right. If they sure. want to buy guns, if they want to buy drugs, they're just going to be the end user purchasing online. Or if they need to launder money, they're going to, you know, use the crypto services that are in place on the dark web to, to swap their money out uh, mm. crypto. So there isn't any speci- specificity to that for a specific gang. Mm-hmm. But I would tend to believe that, yeah, they, they, they probably are using it, no doubt in my mind. Sure, absolutely. This is this one isn't uh, a, an audience question, but this is kind of one that spawned it. So cryptocurrency, I heard once that it's just a big or can be used largely for like money laundering. Like every time you touch cryptocurrency, chance you could be messing around with something kind of criminal aspect. Can you kind of debunk that or kind of straighten that out a little bit? No, I don't believe that. Um, A lot of the people that have become, I I don't want to say users of cryptocurrency because most people who own cryptocurrency, they own it for as an investment vessel, right? They buy it when it's cheap and they want to sell it when it's high to turn a profit of all the people that have these accounts on these exchanges. I would say that the percentages of people who actually use the cryptocurrency in some sort of transaction are pretty low. Um, And the people that are using the cryptocurrencies in those transactions, you know, those who are using it on the dark web for illicit purposes, I think are even lower than that. Uh, but in, in accidentally getting involved in, in some sort of money laundering thing, I think that's pretty hard. I think that's just mm-hmm. as hard as accidentally coming across a child pornography site on the dark web. It's like, gotcha, that's, gotcha. that's you, pretty hard. You get involved with it knowing what's going what's going on. Yeah, if, if you go to the dark web specifically to use a swap service or something to that effect of trying to use a mixing service, even though if you're not buying drugs, right, you're just using this mixing service for whatever reason, then shame on you. You know what you're doing. You know, you're, you're knowingly doing this, but no, nah, just to just to accidentally get involved with it, I, I think is very, very, uh, very, very unlikely. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Very good. Um, that kind of wraps up the audience questions. That, besides the kind of ones that were silly. Um, so uh, well, I don't know. Go, go with the silly questions. I, I love. Well, I, well, love. I, I I had one person want to know how to hire a hitman. Okay, uh, he might he might be put on a watch list. But if you want to yeah. you want to walk him through it, I don't know. Okay, I, w- I won't walk him through it. Um, but needless to say, there are plenty of sites that will gladly take your money. 
They're mostly scam sites. Uh, they'll gladly take your money, and if you get caught, you're pretty much going to jail. So, uh, you know, not only are you going to be out of the money, but the person's not going to get killed, and then you're going to go to jail. So, right, that, right. that's there, on you. No, no winning there. I don't, I don't know, yeah, I don't know uh, how you could possibly think that. And then the other, the other one was uh, who put my phone number on the dark web? Because uh, I guess okay, yeah. no, no, no. This is actually, this is actually, this is actually a very good question. Okay. Um, there's things on the dark web, um, the, the slang term for it are called fulls, F-U-L-L-Z. These are full workups of people, um, whether that's me, Kevin Hendricks, my social security number, my phone's attributed to me, my addresses, um, my IP addresses from my, when I go online, these are full workups on me that people can use to use my identity for fraudulent purposes, right? They could go with my identity to a credit union and open up lines of credit using my identity. So when you say who put my phone number on there, well, there's a lot of ways that this stuff goes on the dark web. There are people like we talked about earlier with the skimming, right? They don't touch those credit cards at all. They just put them all on a package, 100, 200 credit cards, and they sell them. And that's it. They don't touch the credit cards. They don't try to use them. They go online and go, hey, I just got these this morning. They're six hours old. Uh, I want X amount of money for it. And then the people who actually want to use the cars will pay the money to this person, whether through a shop or a marketplace. And then they began to use those credit cards. So for me, I might just be a data miner. I might just be sniffing data off of some site. And I just put it on there to be like, hey, guys, I got 200 fulls, uh, New Jersey, New York, so on and so forth, and I'll sell them. And that's it. I don't get involved with it. I don't I don't try to use them. I just sell the data out there. So who put your number on the dark web? I mean, there's probably a reason it's on there, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you, you, your number is probably part of some uh, data dump or some sort of workup in some way, shape, or form. So um, if anything, that should just let you come to an understanding of how prevalent and just how much it really touches everybody out there. You know, I see these services that exist and they're like, Oh, we'll, we'll flag, we'll flag when we see you on the dark web. Right. It's like, you're not even looking, you're looking at sites that most of the people who are versed in this stuff don't even use anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. The real hackers, they, they migrate to their own forums. They migrate here, they migrate there. And by the time your stuff winds up on these sites that they're watching, it's three, four, five months old. The damage has already been done. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, you know, I feel that because of the misnomers that exist about the dark web, there's plenty of people who act like they're the good guys that are willing to take advantage of you and gladly take your money for services that um, really are, you can do it yourself. Useless. <laughs> and and you, yeah. you can do it yourself if you knew what you were doing. Sure, sure. So, Kevin, we're uh, we're getting ready to just about end the conversation. But before we do, is there anything else that you want to give to police officers out there and, and the general public regarding the dark web, um, utilizing it, or, or as far as investigative purposes, um, or how to defend yourself from being a victim of the dark web? Just yeah. anything else you'd like to kind of leave as parting words? Yeah, so um, I touched on this earlier. I, uh, last year I started... I launched um, with partnership with this uh, development company, CRA. I launched the Ubervis project, uh, stopdarkwebdrugs.com. I founded this site as a 
intelligence hub for dark web vendors of narcotics ways to report them, whether you're the civ- from the civilian side or whether you're in the law enforcement side. Um, if you go to the website, you can see that we have a file a report. And if you're law enforcement, if you have any case that has a nexus to the dark web with drugs and you might have a vendor name, right? You might have sat the kid down that you caught with drugs in school and he says, hey, I bought them off of K Hendricks or I bought them off of 10.8, right? You have something like that. You don't need to know what, what marketplace it was on. You just have this moniker name. You have the drugs associated with it. All we really ask for is a case number and your contact information, your phone number or your email. And once that information gets input to the site, it comes directly to me. I vet it on my end and I forward it off to federal partners. If it's something involving an overdose, we have uh, an interactive map that basically plots where these fatal overdoses or non-fatal overdoses are throughout the United States. And we put the vendor's name that's associated with it as it's reported into our site. We do that as a public service announcement too, because people who die after they purchase bad drugs from a vendor, they can't leave a negative review. They can't, mm-hmm. you know, they can't come back from the grave and leave a negative review. So it's like, this guy might have five out of five stars, but the reality is, you know, the five people who gave him the five out of five stars survived and the 10 people are dead that would have given him zero stars. Sure. So we do that as a way also, uh, you know, you might want to avoid buying from 10-8 if there's multiple overdoses throughout the country. And it's also right. a way to correlate for a federal threshold of strict liability to finally put these people behind bars, to hold them accountable. Um, and it's something I'm very passionate about. I like to spread the word about it. It's free. You know, I don't charge anything. I don't make any money off of it. Um, you know, I'm not selling your data if you put it in there. Uh, and it's something that I really hope can can move us forward uh, to really address this problem that is, in my opinion, spiraled out of control. If we had, Absolutely, yeah. if we had half of the effort that there is to combat child exploitation, if we had Nick Mick, if we had Thorn, if we had these companies that are doing the same thing except for these dark web vendors, the way that the the markets work now it would it would it would be very very few and far between but unfortunately it would make it very detrimental for them to do business properly and and lucratively yes yes it would absolutely all right kevin we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to play a game and then we're going to get out of here all right all right all right everyone listen stay tuned we'll be right back Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. 
No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. All right, we are back. And once again, I've got Kevin Hendricks of Street Cop Training. He teaches dark web and cybercrimes. Kevin, this has been absolutely amazing. Like I said, I've, I've learned so much from this, and uh, and hopefully my listenership has too, and I know they have as long as they're paying attention. Um, you've got some classes coming up, right? Yes. So I got the two, um, I guess, most uh, immediate future classes. Um, I have one next Friday at Street Cop Headquarters in East Windsor, New Jersey. That's February 18th. And then I am down in Manassas, Virginia at uh, George Mason University on April 29th. It's part of a back-to-back with me and Nick German. Uh, He teaches the open source social media class. He's on the 28th. I'm on the 29th. Excellent. Very good. Everyone, if you are in those areas, uh, this is going to air after the Street Cop date. But if you are in Virginia for... uh, for April, definitely check this out. Go to streetcop.com and get registered to attend. And now, now's the hard part of the interview. Now is signal three. Now, these are just going to be quick rapid fire questions. Don't think about them too much. Answer the first thing that All comes right. to your head. Here we go. What is your dream vacation destination? Sanibel, Florida. Really? You are, that is not far from where I am, as a matter of fact. Um, <laughs> not, not far at all. If you could identify with any sandwich, what would it be? The Big Mac. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, what is your go-to day off drink? Typically, we talk about alcohol. I'm drinking it right now. Coors. There Coors Banquet. Not. I was going to say, Coors I Light. thought that was a Banquet can. Okay. Um, yeah, that is. It became famous because of Cobra Kai, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I was drinking it before. Uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, where is your favorite place to hang out if you're on duty? I haven't been on the road in a while. Um, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I, I really, we're, we're busy. I, I yeah. really don't. Okay. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite cop movie? Favorite cop movie is LA confidential. Okay. That's a good one. No one's ever said that one before. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your high school mascot? The bear. Okay. What's your favorite donut flavor? Ooh, Boston cream. Okay. What was your favorite police car? The Dodge Diplomat. Ooh, okay. Going classic with it. <laughs> if you were walking into the biggest moment of your life, giving a big class or a big speech or going in the ring for a fight, what would be your walk-on song? Oh, uh, Weird Al, All About the Pentiums. Nice. Okay. That, that, that was my walk-in song at the Street Cop Conference. That's awesome. What, uh, what was your childhood dream job? That police officer. Okay. If you weren't a cop, what would you be doing? Oh, I'd be uh, an actor. Okay. What, you know, I I wanted to say something while you were talking and it caught my eye. You know who you look like? Uh, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182. Okay. I haven't heard that. I usually hear, I usually hear I'm a mix between Zach Morris and Biff from Back to the Future. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I can see that. Um, What was, what is your proudest moment in law enforcement? Graduating the academy. Okay. If you could tell one person one thing about your career that they misunderstand, what would it be? That 
I am just a normal guy. I didn't have a huge skill set. I began to focus on what I thought I would be best at. Nice. What is something you love that everyone hates? Oh, give me a second here. I mm-hmm. didn't sound that black licorice. Okay. Really? You like black licorice? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, that That's a good one then. Uh, what is something that you hate that everyone loves? Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, TikTok. I hate TikTok. Okay. I hate t- okay. Yeah. TikTok. Yeah. What is your go-to late-night snack? Um, don't really snack, but if I had a like go-to food, it'd probably be like pizza. Okay. What is the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? The best piece of advice would have been your limits are set by yourself. Nice. I like that one. And the last question, if you could share a meal with one person dead or alive that you've never met, who would it be yeah. and what would you order? Ooh. Oh, dead or alive. <sighs> I would say I would really want to met John F. Kennedy. And okay. I think I would have ordered New England clam chowder. Okay. Just so I could hear him say chow da. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. The, the Simpsons episode with, mm-hmm. with Mayor Chow Da. Yeah. Mayor Quimby? <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's Chief Quimby. Chief no, Quimby. The, the mayor that's, of, that's right. Yeah, the mayor of... Uh, the minute since I've seen a Simpson episode. Yeah, chow, chow da. <laughs> awesome. Kevin, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time. If people want to get in contact with you, if they, they've got questions now that you've kind of spiked their, uh, spiked their interest, how do they get in contact with you? So uh, you can email me at my street cop email. That's Kevin. Uh, Kevin spelled K-E-V-E-N. Hendricks at streetcop.com, or you can email me at Kevin, K E V E N, at the Ubivis Project, U B I V I S Project.org. Perfect. Definitely, guys, go do that. Ask him your questions. And of course, like we said, go to streetcop.com. If you're not a part of the Facebook group, join that. He's in there all the time, dropping dropping different free little nuggets of information. And uh, that's about it. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's all about the pandemics, baby. Time with all the chat room yackers. Nine to five chilling at Hootie Packers. Working at a desk with a dumb little placard. Yeah, paying the bills with my mad programming skills. Yeah, Defragging yeah, my hard drive yeah, for thrills. Yeah, I got me a hundred gigabytes of RAM. I never feed trolls and I don't read spam. Install the T1 line in my house. Always at my PC, double clicking on my missiles. Upgrade my system at least twice a day. I'm freaking plug and play. I ain't afraid of Y2K. I'm down with Bill Gates, I call him money for short yeah. I phone him up at home and I make him do my tech support It's all about the pantyums, what? You gotta what? be the dumbest newbie I've ever seen You've got white out all over your screen You think your Commodore 64 is really neato What kind of chip you got in there, a Dorito? You're using a 286, don't make me laugh Your window boots up in what, a day and a half? 
All right, all right, all right. Thank you so much to Kevin Hendricks. An amazing interview, an amazing conversation. For those of you that didn't know anything about the dark web and things like that, absolutely great. But before I go into my normal closing, I just want to say, after we recorded this interview, I went to Google and I looked up who the mayor of Springfield was, and I was right. It was Mayor Quimby. It doesn't matter, but it does matter. So there it is. Anyway, that is going to conclude today's episode for us today. I just said today twice in a row, my bad. Um, that's going to conclude it, guys. I know I, know I kind of was a little long-winded in the beginning, so I'm going to wrap this up very short. Once again, thank you to Kevin Hendricks. Thank you to my sponsors, Street Cop Training and Nick Wall Nutrition. Also, thank you to Anthem Music Writer for the theme song. As always, go check them out. If you use the code 108, you get 20% off your theme song or song for your content. Um, we've got so much stuff coming out on the merch store, 10-8-memes.ecw.com. I already released our goon cups so if you want to go ahead and pre-order that they are through us but with connection to canuck canada and uh it's pre-order so once we hit a certain amount we send it out to canuck canada they make the cups they send it to me i send it to you so if you want to build your order then we've got um stickers that i gotta order new shirts reprint of shirts if you guys love the chasers or the goons or the ncic and chill they're all getting reprinted so keep your eye out if they're not out yet they will be very soon so go check it out on top of all that guys i really want i say it every week but i really mean it take care of each other stay safe take care of your family that's the most important thing right now next week it is my esteemed pleasure to welcome to the 10A podcast, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. It was an absolute amazing conversation, and we talked, he talked, he took the conversation. If you don't like hearing my voice, it is all him, and I can't wait for you guys to check it out. If you've never heard of the Lieutenant Colonel before, this is a treat. This is like a snapshot, a sneak peek into all of his amazing works of art. I called it the episode The Bulletproof Sheepdog. You guys are going to get a hell of a kick out of it. Amazing stuff. So keep an eye out for that next week. You will not be disappointed. And then after that, we've got a whole bunch of great stuff coming up for the rest of the month of March into April. And then it's just going to keep rolling and rolling. The music for today, guys, started with the theme song by Anthem Music Writer then we went into Lupe Fiasco, one of my favorite rappers uh, of the late 2000s with The Show Goes On. Then we had Weird Al. And we're going to wrap it up with The Menzingers and The Freaks. Y'all take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll see you next week. 10-8. Out. Out.